three, two, one. Welcome to the Mix Zone by Infront Lab. On this podcast, we chat with sports and innovation leaders from around the globe, talking about everything from the newest technologies to major trends affecting our industry. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're Infront Lab, the innovation branch of Infront Sports and Media. We use technology to improve experiences and create new opportunities in sports, and help sports and entertainment organizations by bringing them closer to cutting-edge technologies and startups. We cover all sports-related industries, from data to content and everything in between. Amarov Sabir, Marketing Manager at The Lab and host of this podcast. On this episode of The Mix Zone, we're doing something a bit different, taking a trip down memory lane, if you will, and visiting some of the changes we've seen in sports broadcasting over the last couple of years. Oftentimes, we're so focused on the future that we forget to appreciate what we've already accomplished. Broadcasting is not what it once was. Games are broadcast in top-notch quality. In-game statistics are shared live on your screen. OTT has allowed us to enjoy games on the go and to tune in just for the biggest decisive moments in games. Sports content at large has changed drastically over the past few decades. We've said this thousands of times before and are likely to continue saying this for the foreseeable future. There are more camera angles and even more broadcaster options that cater to fan preferences. And while we as fans and content consumers are experiencing these changes in one way, those behind the scenes have experienced and are experiencing them in different ways. Technological advancements have dramatically changed how games and content are produced, the amount of content that is produced, and the way this content is presented to fans. We're joined by Mark Zumoff, known as the voice of the Philadelphia 76ers. Mark spent over 44 years in the broadcasting industry, nearly 40 of those years covering the Sixers and almost three decades as the television play-by-play announcer. This in addition to calling women's basketball games at the Rio Olympics for NBC. Needless to say, Mark's experienced these technological shifts firsthand. Enjoy the episode and let us know your thoughts on our LinkedIn page or email us at infront.lab at infrontsports.com. Mark, first of all, welcome to the Mix Zone. It's a pleasure having you with us. Thank you. It's nice to know that even though I'm retired, somebody is still interested in what I have to say. You are still very much relevant. Have no worry. Well, Mark, first of all, you can't really sum up a career such as yours in a few sentences, but I'm going to ask you to try anyway, because you've experienced a lot over these years, also in the sense of not just technological changes, but the basketball itself. And both have changed markedly uh, the way the game is played and the way the game is covered. I will say that the age of specialty is long gone as talent. You have to have a number of different, we'll call them tools in your toolbox. And the reason is because there are so many technological um, advancements now and so many different ways in which you can connect with the fan that you're expected to embrace them and use them and become good at it. So um, I tried to adapt to that, uh, certainly toward the tail end of my career. And then uh, I, I enjoyed that part of it. It was great learning new things, new technologies, and I'm going to watch with great interest as uh, now I watch from the sideline uh, any advancements that come after this. 
Now we mentioned nearly 30 years as a television voice for the 76ers. You're talking about these technological changes that you experienced while doing so. What would you say are the major tech changes and shifts that you witnessed over your career? As I think about it, I think about the production truck. And I remember when I first started, there were these big, we call them almost tubs. They were uh, videotape machines with one inch videotape. And the really good replay editors, we'll call them, had the ability to mark the beginning of a play. And then after it concluded, quickly rewind and be at the ready for the producer or director to replay whatever that play was. Now that everything is digital, it's amazing. Not only can they instantly recall things, but while they're playing the replay, they can continue to record the game and not miss a beat. So to me, that's, that's one of the big things that um, comes to mind, just thinking about the production truck. And then for me, uh, I would say social media and the advent of social media. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I, I would always say that you could, uh, you could do a broadcast and hear from all of your critics right after you're done. You don't have to wait for a newspaper article to come out or a letter to the editor or anything like that. People Sometimes are you don't even have to wait for the broadcast to be done. <laughs> exactly. People are on you. Uh, they're on you during the game. And sometimes during commercial breaks, uh, you know, you'll respond to them or you'll, you'll interact for other reasons. So I would say uh, purely from a, uh, a play-by-play standpoint, that was one of the bigger changes was the advent of social media. How do you adapt to this? So you're talking, first of all, about the broadcast itself and uh, the changes that were done to, to trucks and how we broadcast and how quickly we can um, bring up replays. And then you're talking about social media. So I want to start with the broadcast itself. How did that affect you as the broadcaster during games? And how do you adapt to it? How do you continue adapting the changes like this? I think just from the human standpoint, you have to be open to it and you have to ask questions. And you can't act your age, if you will. So I'm 66, and there are a lot of people in their 60s who cringe when there's a technological advance or they're asked to embrace this or learn that. Um, now that artificial intelligence is coming to the fore, there are people my age who just can't fathom uh, even learning the first thing about it or what it does. They don't care. They just choose to remain in the 60s or 70s when you know they first started in the business. So. I would say the main thing is to be open-minded. Um, I know that 20-somethings, their brains are geared toward it because they've known nothing but um, the internet and the digital world, whereas for me, uh, the digital world didn't come into practice until I was in my 40s, so I had to get rid of bad habits and, uh, again, be open-minded, embrace it, and do the best I could with it. And how do you do that, especially in this age, you're talking about the 20 something year olds. Now, it's not just appealing to them from a digital standpoint of getting on Twitter, but it's also that different mindset that you're saying. Did you feel as if you also had to adapt the way that you broadcast games in order to appeal to this generation? That's a really good question. And I want to say yes, from the standpoint that I tried to pay attention to popular culture. So whether it was a TV program or a musical artist or basketball slang or urban slang that kind of came into play, you give that a listen 
And I think what I would try to do is not necessarily just use it willy nilly, but if I was making a reference to one of those things, I would say, you know, as the younger generation says, or as today's basketball fan would say, or the younger basketball fan, that sort of thing. That way, I think you would sort of get their attention. And at the same time, you could educate the older part of the audience because, hey, I never heard that before. And uh, know that I'm not excluding them, but rather including them because I'm saying, hey, I'm going to give you a term now. And this is something that's used by young people. So pay attention because you might learn something. And hopefully they did. And they probably use it themselves now with their uh, kids or grandkids. Right. Uh, hopefully they do. It'll help them get along better. That's for sure. <laughs> well, if we're talking about social media, it started out as this slow introduction. If we're talking about the early 2000s with the rise of MySpace and Facebook at the beginning, who may not have had a lot to do with sports. And then it seems as if over the past decade, it, it kind of just exploded in terms of how many different social media accounts are out there and different types of platforms. As a broadcaster, when did you come to that conclusion that, all right, if I want to make sure that I'm still in touch with everyone, I have to get on these networks? And how did you make that shift for yourself to really put your yourself out, the, out there and use these different technological means, whether it's Twitter on your computer or, uh, as you said, replying to comments during games. Did you ever join TikTok? <laughs> uh, no, I, it, I, I have the TikTok app, but I'm afraid to open it. <laughs> I, I, and I actually have opened it and I know all the things I need to fill out. And uh, it, I, maybe when I'm deeper into retirement and I have more time on my hands, I'll venture in, into the TikTok world. But the beautiful thing about Twitter, and we know there are plenty of negative, negative things to say about Twitter and social media in general, is that it's a two-way street. So when Twitter and other forms of social media became popular, my company realized that this was a way to get the 30-somethings and the 20-somethings and get those eyeballs. So they came to me, they provided training sessions, and they educated us on the way of social media and how best to use it from my standpoint, going out into the world. Coming in to me, I discovered it was a great news feed. So I could, for example, let's say we were playing the Washington Wizards, I could follow temporarily or permanently beat writers and broadcasters and bloggers and others who had social media accounts and begin to learn about the Wizards for the next week or so. So by the time I was ready to do my homework, uh, not necessarily taking all that stuff verbatim because a lot of it had to be verified, but I did uh, utilize that stuff to say, okay, here's an interesting something from social media. I'm going to take it to the public relations guy or maybe write to the player or a coach or someone like that and verify it. And a lot of that information proved to be, if not partly true, entirely true and became uh, integral parts of our broadcast. Now, let's go back 40 years, beginning of your career. Back then, did you imagine that this is how live sports would be broadcast and viewed today or in the future? No, because I, I'm, I'm not myself technically savvy, Mirav. I'm just a professional performer and communicator. But now, as I think back, not only in retrospect, but some of the things are coming that are coming. I mentioned uh, artificial intelligence before. And now that you have gambling, for example, all the uh, technology that sort of interfaces gambling with uh, sports that you can actually, in the comfort of your own home, um, 
place bets, uh, you know, even these prop bets, even as things are happening. So, you know, a player goes to the foul line and instantly there's a prop bet that says, uh, are, is he going to make one free throw, zero free throws or both free throws? And, you know, you maybe have five seconds to place that bet. It's, I mean, it's, it's really crazy. Uh, something uh, I teach a play-by-play class at Temple University. And, um, you know, I said to the students at the beginning of the class, uh, when one teaches to learn, and I didn't make that up, but uh, not only can I impart wisdom on them, but they can teach me about their world and some of the cutting edge stuff. And some, somebody told me about something that the, uh, the Nets are doing. Uh, uh, I think it's called Netiverse or something like that, where uh, the players, they, they take the on-court action, if I understand this, and it, and it sort of becomes uh, translated into an animated, uh, a really realistic animated uh, visual, if you will. And through that, they could take you on the court as if the camera were kind of like suspended in, in midair and you, you really feel as though you're part of the action. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say that these are things that maybe people dreamt of, but, you know, you sort of uh, said, all right, well, yeah, we'll see if that happens. But, you know, a lot of that crazy stuff um, is happening. You're talking about uh, betting and real-time betting during games and this uh, introduction of the, the metaverse and the metaverse that the Nets are doing. What do you think have been the biggest changes in consumer and fan preferences that you've witnessed that have brought us to this point? So I would say for the first 10 or 15 years of my 27 years, we had control of your TV set. There was an old program called The Outer Limits. And the guy said in the beginning, it was a science fiction thing. And he said, we have control of your TV set. Well, we had control of the TV set. We decided what you were going to see and when you were going to see it. Now fans have the opportunity to tune in and let's say they're streaming a game on their phone. They can go to different services which provide different camera angles and that sort of thing. Um, I, I think there are also opportunities if you see, you know, I, I use Joel Embiid because he's a sixer, but you, you like the, the uh, shoes that he's wearing. Um, I, I believe there may be even a way to click on the shoes and then suddenly you're taken to Under Armour's website and there, there are the shoes for, uh, for purchase. So it's that kind of interactivity that the fan gets. Um, all this second screen stuff now where um, not only are you watching the game, but you have that second screen where you can look up information that before this was strictly uh, proprietary to the announcer. You know, they had control and they told you what it is that you needed to know. And now the fan can almost tune out the announcer and say, you know what, uh, I, I, here's something that I want to know and I can look it up on my second screen. So it really has empowered the fan to do some things that um, you know, the first 10 or 15 years, you couldn't even imagine. So how does that also affect your job as an announcer now that anyone could have gone online and found out that information? Does that, did that change the way you broadcast the game? That's a really good question. And I think for me, the challenge was, what could I bring to the broadcast that a fan could not get digitally or over the internet or otherwise? So a lot of that was my own personal contacts. So the 45 minutes or so that the broadcasters were given to say, go into the locker rooms or opportunities to schmooze with coaches and players when they were out warming up. That was the kind of fresh, exclusive information that you couldn't get on Wikipedia or on the internet or 
on somebody's Twitter account because that's something that I was able to glean personally. So I think the challenge now for all broadcasters is to forge those relationships and then to utilize those relationships to get that kind of information, particularly late topical game-related information that nobody can get because it's fresh and it comes from contacts and conversations that only you as a broadcaster can have. Now, we mentioned a bunch of different technologies from over the years. We started with the how broadcasting done is in the truck, uh, social media. What would you say is the technology that had the biggest effect on you as a broadcaster? Not as a broadcaster as a whole, but on you as a broadcaster. Hmm. Well, <laughs> one thing was uh, high definition television, because when that became commonplace, they handed me some makeup and said, all right, you got to use this for every game. So, uh, and then, you know, wearing certain items, you were able to wear certain items as a broadcaster, polka dots or stripes that were forbidden previously because the standard definition couldn't capture it. So it would end up vibrating or just not looking um, as it should, whereas high definition and now even better 4K uh, were, were able to capture that kind of stuff. So those are the two things, I guess, that, that come to mind right away. I'm not sure those are the answers that you're looking for. It's, it's not necessarily very deep or anything, but uh, those are the things that come to mind. But you know what? Sometimes those are the best answers because the, well, those okay. are the answers that no one else will think of. <laughs> Every time I try to answer, I think, all right, I, I got to think of how can I, you know, come up with an answer that is uh, going to blow people away. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right in that case. Now, you mentioned already that after retirement, you're now sitting down and you're watching games from the sideline. Now, how does Mark Zumoff, the fan, view today's broadcast and content? Well, we have something unique in Philadelphia in that we have a woman who took my spot. And when I heard that she was the one selected to take my place, I was elated because I think the time is long since passed that women should have a more prominent role. And it's like anything else, when you consider diversity, equity, and inclusion, you have to think about not only the feminine perspective, but uh, the perspective of uh, someone of color in that it is indeed a different perspective and is one that needs to be heard. Traditionally, play-by-play -play has been the domain of men and it's taking some getting used to. But I remember uh, I was given the opportunity to look at some of the auditions of um, the different broadcasters who are going to take my place. And I just came away uh, extremely impressed with Kate. Putting aside the fact that she is a woman, she's an excellent broadcaster. And I think our fans now are starting to realize that, that she knows her stuff, that her rapport with uh, my previous color analyst of five years, Ala Abdenabi, has been tremendous considering the fact that They've only had about 40 or 50 games together. And the other thing is that they have to get used to hearing from a woman that uh, the call of the game is different, that the cadence and timbre of her voice is different. And um, I'd like to think that, A, some of those older fans are going to get used to that and embrace it. And then we're going to have another generation that... Um, I think Kate's going to have the job for years to come. And then 10, 15, 20 years from now, there'll be a generation of people and that's all they'll have heard 
associated with Sixers basketball. Though, you know, I won't even be a memory for them. And so uh, I think that will help more and more women to be accepted as well because of the fact that Kate will be around for a whole generation of people that will have experienced only a female announcer. And if we're talking about next generations, as you said, you're helping train the next generation uh, lecturing at Temple University. What does that training look like when you take into consideration all the different technological advancements around sports broadcasting in recent years? Actually, I'll, I'll answer the, the question two ways. The first is that I'm finding that my students are educating me. Uh, the, the one thing that I can say to them is, um, you know, it's like a carpenter where you have a tool belt and you have all the tools necessary to complete the job. So in the case of being a play-by-play -play announcer, and I think they already sense this, you have to be ready to do so many other things because uh, today's technology demands that of you. All that said, no matter what happens, what has happened in, in recently with technology or what is to happen in the future, there are still some axioms that I think uh, will remain timeless. And that includes uh, the, the humanity of it all and uh, learning to, to trust who to trust and what resources to trust, uh, what people to trust and getting people to trust you, which is a big part of information gathering that, um, you know, as I'd spoken uh, about earlier, the fresh information that you get that, is, that comes only with the trust that you engender with the people that you need the information from. And no matter what happens technologically down the road, that uh, fortunately I don't think will ever change. And if we're looking at it from that perspective, with all the short form content that we're seeing today that's being uploaded to social media within a matter of seconds after an action happens during a game, how do you think professional broadcasters can carve their niche into this world and not get lost in all the content noise that's online? Well, I often say that people should carry, and I didn't make this up. But uh, somebody should carry, you should always carry a grain of sand in your pocket because it tells you two things. One, you're one of seven or 8 billion people on the face of the earth. But the other thing is that that grain of sand is unique among the seven or 8 billion people on the earth. So whatever it is that makes you unique, bring that out. That's the, that's the first thing that you can do. Uh, I think you also have to have a clear, concise and consistent message so people know what to expect so that when they see your Twitter account and they decide whether or not to follow you, they know exactly what it is that they're gonna get down the road. Uh, the one thing that I have found with technological advances and the fact that everyone wants to do things instantly is they have put the need to be right or to be accurate aside. And uh, that to me from a journalistic standpoint, and I hate to use this term, but I, I feel very passionate about it, it's criminal. Uh, you shouldn't be able to do that. And I think what happens is because there's so much information that's just splashed out there on a whim, uh, people uh, don't even care about that anymore or, or care less about it. So uh, to me, whether it's a hot take, or whether it's a, it's a story that's a long form story and you're, you're, you're tweeting out a link to it, uh, to me, accuracy is another thing that's going to set you apart for the, from the noise, that people know that when they see something that you tweet out or a link to something that you tweet out, 
uh, that you've gone to great lengths to make sure that, that what you wrote or what you're saying or what you're showing is correct. Well, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Mirov. That wraps up another episode of The Mix Zone by Infant Lab. I'm Marav Severe. You can find me and the lab on LinkedIn. And don't hesitate to reach out and chat with our team about sports tech solutions or just last night's game. Enjoyed the episode? Let us know your thoughts on the podcast. And don't forget to rate us. We'll see you next time. Hey.